Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, for this time to be together. Thank you again for your word, for its instruction and teaching and leading and guidance and wisdom. We ask that we would hear and receive, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, as uh, we get into our time, I want us to talk about being great. Now, if you think about being great, then you might think about someone like General MacArthur was thought to be a great general. Or maybe like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington, who were thought to be great presidents. Maybe you think of someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who was great in, in the civil rights movement. Or, or maybe you think about Nelson Mandela, who did a great thing overcoming apartheid. Or maybe you think of people like Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa, who were who are great in caring for those in need. Or maybe you think about Jesus Christ, who's, I think, considered the greatest of all, right? Who, who died for our sins so that we could be saved, so that we could have eternal life. Philippians 2, 8 to 11. Whenever you see yellow, please read with me. The Apostle Paul says, I'm being found, talking about Jesus, I'm being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Now, you might have heard the list of names that I just mentioned, and you might wonder, could I ever be great like that? Could I ever be considered great? Great. But let me offer you these words from Jesus, from Mark 9.35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. As we come to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, we're continuing in our Gospel, chapter 18 today. As we look at chapter 18, we're going to see that Jesus talks about five characteristics, attitudes, actions that we are to have that he says makes us great. Now, these five things might be a little surprising to you. They might be different than what you might expect because the world tells us certain things of what greatness is. And so as you hear these five things, you might kind of take them into thought and think, why would Jesus say that these are the five things? Well, it's not an exhaustive list, but just for today, in Matthew 18, why are these the five things that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 18? Where he considers that if we do these things, if we put these things in our life, if we behave in this way, if we allow this to become who we are, then we will be considered great. Now, you saw me do the children's sermon, and you see me do a children's sermon every week, right? I've always done that in all of my ministry career because I believe that children can learn from every age. And I believe that it is important from the time that children are born that we begin to teach them about God and God's love and God's purpose for their lives and how they are special and important. And so every week I want to teach biblical truths to children. We see in a child a teachable spirit. They're still humble. They're willing to learn. Their minds are like a sponge, so we need to be careful what we bring into their minds, right? 
They're filled with curiosity and energy and openness. The problem is, as we get older, we start to get that I know it all attitude, right? We start to think that we, we know everything. We begin to have our own ideology. We, we have our own worldview, and, and everything that comes to us, we filter through that worldview. And so the problem with that is that if your worldview doesn't include biblical truths, then when those biblical truths come to you and you try to filter it through your worldview, you're going to reject what the Bible has to say. You know, I've seen statistics anywhere between 63% to 94% saying that anywhere between 63 to 94% of people become Christians before the age of 18. I tend to believe it's on the higher side than the lower side. Because when adults, when you pass 18, you start to have that worldview. You start to have that thinking. You start to think, I know what I know. I believe what I believe. And I'm not going to change my thinking. People can become callous to religion and not open to the gospel. I think it's unfortunate, but it's true. Matthew 18, verse 1, Jesus asked the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus doesn't hesitate. He brings a child over, over to him, and he says to them, this here, says to them in verses 3 and 4, read with me, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, even back in Jesus' day, there was this hierarchy of thinking, right? A king was greater than all other people in both position and stature. The, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they were greater or considered greater than the, the commoner. And so on and so on it goes. There's this hierarchy of thinking. There's some who are thought of to be better, greater than others. And children were not thought in very high standards back in Jesus' day. Jesus talks about the key to being great is to be like a child, to be humble, to not have that prideful spirit that you want to be considered better than other people, right? When we start comparing ourselves to people, am I better than that person? Am I better than that person? We do it in the workplace. We do it in our families. We do it in our friendships. We do it in our careers, right? We do that. Am I, we want to be better than others around us. See, a child can be molded and shaped and, and learn from the beginning what is good and right and true and noble. When I met Tammy, some of you know that Tammy was a golf pro in another life, right? <laughs> Many years ago, pre-children. And my score when I played golf, my average score was about 105. Now, any of you who don't know golf, let me tell you, 105 is not a good score, okay? Not a good score. It's a lot, lot, of, lot of swings of the golf club to get that ball in the hole, each hole. Okay, 105, not good, okay? And when Tammy met me, I had a lot of bad habits in my game. So when Tammy began to try to teach me to get better in my game, it was not easy for her to teach me, right? I had to, she had to try to break these bad habits. Some of which I had gained by playing baseball. 
baseball swing and a golf swing are very, very different. And so she got a little frustrated, but she persevered. And in the end, she did okay with me. When I was praying regularly, my score went down to an average of about 88 to 90, which is not bad. It's not good still, but it's not bad, right? Especially when you start at 105. Now, let me contrast that. I'm gonna embarrass my son a little bit, but Tyler, okay? When Tyler was 14, he had never played golf, and Tammy started working with Tyler right away. At 14, she started teaching him, and he didn't have any bad habits because he hadn't played golf before, right? So she started him off with all of the right things, and he was teachable because he didn't know how to play golf. And so he let her teach him the right things from the very beginning. And Tyler has a much better swing and is a much better golfer than I am. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he learned the right way from the beginning. See, that is the challenge for us as Christians, as adult Christians. We need to be humble and teachable, even though we've been a Christian maybe for a long time, or maybe we've been a Christian for not at all, or maybe we're not even a Christian yet. We need to be humble and willing to receive the instruction that God's Word has for us. Only then can we become great because we can learn from Christ what it means to be great, to be humble and giving ourselves and, and loving others. And so, as Christ tells us, someone who is great will be a servant to others as Christ was. A couple years after I graduated from Cal State Fullerton, yay, Cal State Fullerton, all right, Christian is a fellow music major over there, Cal State Fullerton. And a couple years after that, our music department decided to throw a music camp, a week-long music camp for high school students. And I was asked to teach a music theory class. Well, I had graduated, only a couple years done, right? And so I thought, I know music theory. And so I didn't really prepare very well to teach the music theory class, because I thought, I know this forwards and backwards. I know this, I'm, I'm good. So I remember to this day, as if it was yesterday, I remember going into that class and trying to teach them music theory. And as I'm walking through the music theory, I'm starting to get confused. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm saying, which means that they definitely don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> right? And that class went on, and it was the longest hour of my life. And I stumbled, and I bumbled, and I'm sure I taught them many wrong things. And I was so glad when that hour was over. And I was so embarrassed. And I went home that night and I studied like I had never studied before. Because I was like, I don't ever want that to happen to me. I thought I knew it, but I didn't know it. Have you ever tried to do that? You think you know something, but then you try to teach it to someone else. And they, you just don't really know it as well as you think you do. And the next day and the rest of the week, I was able to teach them some music theory and correct my mistakes from the first day. See, sometimes we think we know things so well. And that is the danger of being a Christ follower, especially the longer you've been a Christian. The danger is you think you know everything, right? And you think you know how to share and teach and, and lead other people. And we have to be careful. We have to ask ourselves the question, do I know the Bible well enough to teach it to others correctly? And if not, do some studying. Study as if you would study for the most important test of your life. Because it's so important that when we share about Jesus, about Christianity, about the importance of it, about eternal life, when we share these concepts, what we understand 
what we're talking about. Are we doing things or saying things that are wrong and will lead others astray? Especially when it comes to children, right? And children are so open to whatever we share with them. And if we don't tell it to them right, that is not good. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 67, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must, become, must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Setting a good example for others is so important, especially when it comes to our Christian faith. We should study the Bible and ask questions as much as we can so that we can get it right when we share it with others. But even more, for us to be a good example, we must rid ourselves that cause us to stumble. Jesus continues, and he continues to talk in this very strong language, right? Because he wants us to really get the point of how important this is. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, Jesus often talked in these extreme ways to make his point, to make you pay attention, to help you understand how important it is, this teaching he has given us. How many people have been turned off by Christians who say one thing and who live contrary to the scriptures? How many people have been caused to stumble because of that? How many people have practiced sinful behaviors because they've seen Christians practicing these sinful behaviors, thinking that they are okay? We need to rid ourselves of whatever causes us to stumble so that we won't cause others to stumble. Whatever that is. Maybe it's pornography or sex outside of marriage or excessive drinking or swearing or pride or gossip. Whatever is that sin that is over you, whatever that sin that is challenging you, whatever that sin that is in your life, ask God to rid you of that so that you can set a good and right example for others. Someone who's great will rid themselves of their sin and seek to be a good example. You want to be great? Be a good example. One of the beliefs in our Reformed thinking, which our denomination is part of the Reformed thinking, is the, the, the idea that children are a part of the body of Christ. That is why we baptize babies and children, because they are part of the covenant community. And as a part of the community, we all need to be a part of that training and teaching and shepherding. When a child or a baby is baptized, the parents are asked if they will raise their child in the Christian faith. And then because we are a connective body, a covenant community, the congregation is asked to stand and the congregation is asked this question, do we as a congregation promise to be faithful to bring up this child in the admonition of the Lord? And as a body of Christ, we together say, we do. Now, why do we ask this question? Because children are an important part of the community. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He's lifting up children. Say how important, how special, how wonderful they are. Remember I said they were despised. They were like property back in Jesus' time. And he was lifting them up. This was revolutionary te teaching from Jesus. To lift up children in this way and say they are important. As Jesus said, we need to be like a child. He expressed the importance of children. We need to love them and care for them and watch over them and teach them and guide them and lift them up in the Lord. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher or a parent to do that. Every one of us should get to know our children. Every one of us should make sure that we find a way to encourage them and love them and lift them up in the Lord. Keep them strong in their faith to help the parents as they are trying to do that as well. To support the parents because our children are so important. But along with shepherding children, we all need to have an attitude of shepherding those who the Bible would call lost, those who, who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Matthew 18, 12 to 14. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, Truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Jeez, Jesus gives an example of one sheep wandering off and how that one sheep at that moment becomes more important than the other 99 because the, sheep, or the shepherd knows that he loves his sheep. And these 99, they're okay. They know what they're doing. They know where they are. They're safe. And so he worries about this one sheep that has wandered off in danger, not knowing how to find its way home. The lost needs help. We have to think of ourselves as shepherds. And those who are Christ followers and those who are not Christ followers are all sheep. In Jesus' story. Those who know Christ know to come to church, know to read their Bible, know to learn and to grow and to walk in the way that God teaches us. We know how to do that. But those who do not know Christ do not know that. They don't know how to come to Christ. They don't know how to learn and grow and to be lifted up and to be in that special relationship that God wants to have with us. We need to pray that God would give us a heart for those who Jesus calls the last, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We have to be as concerned for them as we would be for any family member we had that was lost. We have to have a heart for those who do not know Jesus. So that they will come to know this most personal and intimate God. Someone who is great is one who seeks to be a shepherd to children and to the lost. Moving on, Jesus talks about sin. Now we get to that place where we're like, well, we don't really want to talk about sin. Well, we don't really talk about our, our faults and our weaknesses. We don't want to bring those out in the open. And in fact, Jesus said, remember but earlier in the book of Matthew, he said that you should be more concerned with your own sin than with the sin of others, right? We're not 
to be so concerned that we're going around pointing out the sin of others. We need to be concerned with our own sin. What is going on in my life? What do I need to have God work on in my life? That is so when we do come to others, we have this attitude that I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. The only difference between me and maybe the person I'm talking to is that I've acknowledged that I have sinned in my life, I've confessed that sin to Jesus, and I've received the forgiveness of Jesus that has promised to me. This other person might not be in that place. And because we love that person, Jesus says, we want you to go to that person to help them. Not to judge them, but to help them get back into that right relationship with God. So Jesus says, if a brother or sister is in sin and isn't recognizing it, then go to them in private and sit with them and, and talk with them and try to help them understand where maybe they've gone astray, maybe what they're doing, why it's wrong, why it's not a good behavior for them to be in. And then Jesus says, if they acknowledge their sin and ask for forgiveness, then they are reconciled with God. The challenge comes, though, when even when you go to them and you talk to them lovingly, they don't acknowledge their sin still. What do you do then? Well, Jesus says, but if they will not listen, take one or two along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, again, the purpose is not to embarrass or to challenge them, but to love them into a place where they get back on that right path, living the right way, acknowledging that this is what I should do and this is what I, not, I shouldn't do. This is what is sin and this is how I should be living. See, it's impossible when there's just one-on-one -on -one that they might think you're just being judgmental or you might just not like me right now. But when there's two of you saying that same thing to them, Again, not judgingly, but lovingly. Hopefully, that the goal is that they will open their eyes and say, okay, maybe there is something in my life that is not right. Something that I need to change. Remember how we talked about how Christians living in sin can cause others to stumble. So when we're blind to our sinfulness and we're living that way, we say, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm living this way and I think it's okay to live this way. Then that becomes a problem, right? For our example. With the presence of two or three loving friends, the hope is the person will see more clearly their sinful act. Someone who is great will seek to be accountable to others and receive correction. Are you open to correction? Are you accountable to others? That's so important to have in our life. Then we get to the last section. So I want you to think about for this question for a moment. Have you ever been deeply hurt by another, maybe over and over again? If so, then you probably wonder, like Peter wondered when he came up to Jesus. Read that with me. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You know, I think Peter was thinking that he was being generous here, right? Wow, should I forgive him seven times? Boy, that's pretty, pretty wonderful of me, right? I mean, think about it. For Peter to say that would mean that someone would have to sin against him, hurt him seven times, and seven times he would have to forgive them, right? So, I mean, it sounds like a pretty big number, right? But Jesus responds in verse 22. 
I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, we calculate it real quick. That's 490, right? Now, let me tell you this. Jesus was not telling you, forgive someone 490 times, and then that 491st time, you don't need to forgive them anymore. Man, if you're counting that many times, there's something wrong there, right? Go on my list. Okay, that was 21. 152. Okay, I mean... No, that's not the point. The point is not to count how many times you're forgiving someone, right? The point is that you are to forgive someone more than you can count. You are to forgive someone as much as God forgives you. And how much does God forgive you? It says, if you confess, then God will forgive you. It is an unending, continuous forgiveness. God does not have a limit on how many times he forgives you. And we should not have a, a limit on how many times we forgive others. Now, let me tell you a little note here, though, on the side. If someone is hurting you 490 times, then you probably shouldn't be in a close proximity with that person, right? You shouldn't continue on in that relationship. You shouldn't be in a relationship where people are hurting you over and over again. You forgive them, but you, you gain space in that relationship. Someone who's great forgives like God forgives us. Don't let yourself get confused. Don't listen to the world about what greatness is. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus because when we listen to Jesus, we will live a more purposeful, meaningful, fruitful life. Someone who's great is one who serves others. Someone who's great is one who cares for children and helps them build them up in the Lord. One who, who's great seeks to be a good example. One who's great is a shepherd to the lost. Someone who's great is one who's willing to be accountable and to be corrected in their life. Someone who's great is one who forgives like God forgives. This is a great checklist for us to have in our lives. And I promise you, if you live in this way, you might not have people in the world coming up and say, wow, you're really great. But God will indeed think that you're great. You will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray.